Ephesians chapter 6, and we return tonight to that passage in Ephesians 6, that's verses 10 through 12 that we began looking at last time. We desperately need these truths to sink deep into our hearts because we are living on a spiritual battlefield. We started last time in verse 12. And we noted the who and the where and the what of our spiritual warfare. We are involved in a real battle. Sometimes I think the the devil likes to get into the sound system too. (laughs) We are involved in a very real battle. It's not one that we look forward to, is it? It's not one we're eager about and excited for, but it is, it is one indeed that God prepares us for. We just sang about it. We're involved in a very real battle. It's a battle with Satan and his demons. It's a battle in heavenly places, in spiritual realms. It's a spiritual battle, but sometimes it can feel physical. It can wear us out and, and challenge us with, with real life consequences. It's in those heavenly places, though. It's a spiritual battle. And what kind of battle is it? It is as though we're wrestling. And Mark, last time together, I used your conversation with me about what wrestling was like. I have never wrestled, but you have. And uh, used that as an example of what it's like to be in a spiritual battle. It's exhausting. It's, and I also compared it to hand-to-hand combat, because I've had training in that, and that is exhausting. It's intense, and it's difficult. So we're at Ephesians chapter 6. Let's look at verses 10 through 12, and then we'll pick up where we left off last time. Ephesians 6, verse 10, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, let's continue considering what the Bible tells us about what is really happening in this spiritual battle we're involved in. Here's what we need to know next. The enemy is scheming to defeat us. The devil, we'll start here actually. The devil's the enemy. Remember that. The devil is the enemy. Remember we said last time that the enemy is not other people. We're not at warfare with other people. It can feel like it sometimes, certainly. But they're not the enemy. It's the devil and his demons. They're scheming to defeat and derail us and keep us from our mission of serving God and glorifying Him with our lives, with our conduct, with our speech, with the work that we do, with the families we raise, with the church that we attend and become a part of and serve in. We're we're on a mission to glorify God. I trust that we're all together in that. We want to glorify God in all that we do, and yet Satan wants to derail us from that. Look at verse 11 again. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Stand against what? Against the schemes of the devil. Your enemy, the devil, wants you to fall. He wants you to fall. God wants you to stand. The devil wants you to fall. God wants you to stand and not run from the battle. And not hide from the battle. He wants you to stand, to stand firm, in fact. Paul says it like this in Philippians 4 and verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm thus in the Lord. So the Bible is calling us, to conviction, conviction about what the Bible teaches us. It calls us to action. Look at those two words uh, that you see in verse 11. The first two words in verse 11 are put on. That's action. Put on. At the the beginning of, of verse 11, it says put on the whole armor of God. In the Greek, it carries with it the idea of permanence also when you think about putting on the idea is is put it on and do not take it off it's kind of like when you were a kid and your mom said before you go outside in the winter put your coat on zip it up keep it on keep that hat on keep those mittens on do not take them off I remember one time when we lived in northern Michigan and all of our kids were still at home going out to check the mail one day and I saw barefoot prints in the snow. (laughs) I didn't think anything of it until I turned around to go back in the house and I noticed that the barefoot prints went back to my house. (laughs) Because it was like a mailbox with like six mailboxes on it. I'm like, who's the crazy person? Wait, the crazy person is in my house. It wasn't one crazy person. It was several crazy persons. And when I think, I think I challenged the kids, I'm like, who's the, who, who's going out to check the mail in their bare feet? And my, I think my son, Kevin, my oldest son, Kevin, and his younger brother, Taylor, they were, they were uh, well, I think it was actually Taylor, the one, the one that got most of the trouble started. But I think they said, well, we were learning in history about George Washington's men, and we we're trying to identify with George Washington's men. <laughs> I say, well, if you want to identify with George Washington's men, you'll spend the whole day outside without your shoes. There's homeschooling for you. (laughs) Put your coat on, (laughs) right, is what your mama told you and is what we told our kids. That's really what we're seeing here. Put on the whole armor of God. Keep it on. Do not take it off. You desperately need the whole armor of God. That's the idea here. Put it on. Don't take it off. You You need the word of God as your armor. You need to put that armor on every day. You need to start your day with that armor. You need a heart and a mind that is trained by the Word. Trained to think truth. You need the Word to teach you how to think truth. And we'll say real truth as opposed to the fake truth. The the world would like, you know, the world says, your truth and my truth. You know, you got your truth and I've got mine and mine's right and yours is right. How can that be? 
That's not what the Bible says. We need to know the truth. The truth that is found in God's Word. And God's Word speaks to all of life. All of life. You may not have specific answers about your specific problem, but God's Word does address your problem, your question. We do not need what the world is calling truth, such as when the world says that a baby in the womb is not a baby. It's a lump of matter. No. That's a baby. We need to stand on the truth, such as uh, what we're seeing this past week with a man being applauded for calling himself a woman. It is a sad thing to see going on in our governmental climate when, when we see a man, a doctor, who calls himself a woman being put to the front being ushered to the front as uh, our assistant secretary for health. And this person that says he's a, a woman is denying, you, you hear the science, you know, there's, wait, trust the science, but don't trust the science, right? What we need is the truth, the, the truth of God's word to train our thinking, to train us to think truth and to stand for the truth. Those are just two examples of, of plots we could point to in our culture right now. When the world is going crazy, you need to put on the truth and keep it on. You need the truth of the Bible. And you, re, you need to refuse to call a baby a lump of tissue. And you need to refuse to call a man a woman and a woman a man. You, if we don't, who will? We need to point to the truth of God's word and, and unashamedly say, no, that's not a woman, that's a man. And no, that's not a man, that's a woman. Put on the whole armor of God. For what reason? Again, the goal is to be able to stand firm no matter what happens around us in the world in which we live that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Those two examples I pointed to, those are schemes of the devil. And there are lots of other schemes of the devil going on around us, going on in your own life and my own life, that the devil would like to derail us with and defeat us with, discourage us with. The church and the world desperately need God's children to say, I'm going to take a stand with the truth, come what may, no matter what. So devote yourself to the truth and to standing against the lies of the devil for your own sake, for the sake of the people that you love, for the sake of your church, for the sake of the the people that live in your neighborhood, for the sake of the people that live in, in your community, the place that you work, take a stand for the truth. Stand for the sake of God's church in this place. Why? Because the enemy is scheming to derail you and sidetrack you and defeat you so that you will not serve and glorify God with your life. Now, what is it that we need to stand against? The devil's schemes are what we need to stand against. The devil's crafty, cunning methods of deceit. Look at verse 11 again. Put on the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I'm going to give you three words that describe the general approach of the devil in the life of a believer. Three words. They all all start with a D. Three words are deceive and divide and destroy. The devil likes to deceive and divide and destroy. We've heard about how the devil wears a disguise in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, when it says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He deceives. He wears a disguise. He masquerades. The devil comes in a disguise. He comes to deceive. He will not show himself as he really is. He will even use some truth to mask who he is. He likes to make, in fact, he likes to make little things seem big. Do you get that? He, he wants us upset and angry about little things. He wants us to worry about little things. He wants us resentful and unforgiving about little things. Things. He makes little things seem like big things. He deceives. He also likes to do the opposite with the big things, the important things. He likes to make those seem small and insignificant and little. The devil likes to make big things, big things seem like a huge deal, and he likes to make things that should be a big deal to us seem like very small things and unimportant things. The devil wants you convinced that you don't need to pray. You could, you could say, that's a big thing. And the devil wants you convinced that you don't need to pray. You just need to take the matter into your own hands. You just need to get to work. The devil wants you to get to work if it means you, you not pray. You don't pray. You cease to pray. You fail to pray. You realize that when we pray, we're, we're talking to the God of the universe. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We're talking to that God who is in control and and brings to bear into our lives and the things that we're concerned about answers that will bring honor to him and glory to him and help to us. So it's to our benefit when we turn to God in prayer and not listen to the devil's schemes making us think that I don't have time to pray. The devil wants you thinking you don't need to read the Bible. Well, you've already heard all that. You've heard many sermons on that passage. You can check out and think about something else now, right? He wants you living by your feelings. He wants you thinking about the big things in life with your feelings. He wants you to make the little things big and the big things seem little. He doesn't want us in church. You don't need to be in church. You need some sleep. Take care of yourself. You can go next week. You don't want to be around all those people. Remember, there's a virus, (laughs) right? It happens in the church, too. The enemy would love for us to take something that is very important and make it of small account. The gospel, for one. I saw a church, I cannot remember the name of the church, I saw a headline and and briefly read the story of a church that is saying now that the Bible cannot be trusted. That's surprising, but it's not the first church who's actually practiced that. 
It's the rare church you hear that actually comes out and says it. And that, um, that's heartbreaking and, and troubling. Was it Bethany Christian Services this week? Did you hear, hear this in the news? I think it's called Bethany. Am I getting that right? Bethany Christian Services. They're, they're an adoption agency, a Christian adoption agency. They came out this past week and said that they are now going to serve LGBT plus couples. That's a denial of the truth of God's word. And that's heartbreaking. So it happens in the church. It happens in Christian organizations. It happens in Christian families. When the devil gets a foothold and deceives us into thinking that we're going to do the culture better, we're going to do the culture more good by watering down the the truth. Their argument was Christians disagree about these things. So we're going to go ahead and serve LGBT people. The Bible doesn't have a problem making clear what the truth is. It's, it's Christians that have, a tr- have trouble believing it and practicing it. We need to be grounded in the truth so that when, when it's our turn to make a decision about whether we're going to do what's right or go with the world, we do what's right and we stand with the truth no matter what. The enemy would love for us to take something that's very important, something that's very critical to the health of the church, even to the, to the health of our testimony to the world, and make it a little thing and make it small and make it, a, make it inconsequential. Or he'd like to take something little and use it to divide us. In fact, uh, the devil's doing that all over the place. Even, um, even through what we've been going through for the last year, the devil has divided many churches over uh, the coronavirus. And I'm not saying that's a little thing. What we do about that is important. But that should not divide us as a church. The devil will also deceive by getting you to be fearful today about something tomorrow that may not even happen, right? We think about tomorrow a lot, and we think, oh, no, what's going to happen here and what's going to happen there? And the devil wants us fretting and stewing about things that may never happen, may never come to be. And even if they do come to be, God knows about those things, and he will help you through them if they come. But even God's word reminds us, don't worry about tomorrow, Live today. Live in today. Tomorrow has enough problems of its own, right? Now, why did Jesus say to the disciples in Matthew 6, why are you worrying all the time? I take care of sparrows. I care about the birds. Aren't you more valuable than the birds? In Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. There's the answer for the things that concern us. Seek first. Make the priority the kingdom of God. Make the priority glorifying God. Do not worry about the things that God is in control over. So that doesn't give us anything to worry about. (laughs) Because God's in control of it all. But there's the enemy. He's there all the time. And we're worried about the future and what's going to happen and where are my kids or my grandchildren going to end up and what's going to happen with my husband or what's going to happen with my wife or what about my job. 
all very real things that God is so capable of handling and wants so much for us to give to Him and trust Him with. Satan also deceives by getting us to bring yesterday into today, to drag the past along with us. So many people are trapped in yesterday. Something awful happened and you can't forget it. You can't get over it. You realize God does not minimize the pain you feel over that. God does not make little of that. He takes that very seriously. But he does tell you this, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's a verse I need to hear constantly. It's also possible that your past holds things that you've done that the devil likes to keep reminding you of. You are not worthy, the devil likes to remind us. You, do you remember what you did back, back when? And we need to remember that God has forgiven us if we've confessed our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. Isn't that precious? To that kind of being trapped in yesterday, the Bible says in Ephesians 1.7, In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Isn't that precious? The riches of His grace. We are forgiven if we've given our sins over to God, if we've confessed our sins. God does not want you bringing yesterday into today. But the devil's going to try to get you to do that. God calls you to trust him, live in the light of his forgiveness, and be faithful. You see, that's what God calls us to. And it's very hard to forget the past. And it's not necessarily that we forget the past. But he calls us to being faithful now, trusting him with the forgiveness that he's given us. And be faithful to him now. Joseph is a powerful example of this. He was sold by his family. I don't know. How do you get over something like that? You, you have a great God is how you get over something like that. And, and he was faithful. He was faithful to God. He's trying to live for God and he's thrown into prison but he has a dream and he's going to be used by God and he stayed faithful. He trusted God. Years later, uh, when God had blessed and elevated him, he called his firstborn son Manasseh. Genesis 41, 51. For God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. Think of that. All that had been done to Joseph, how he had been mistreated, misrepresented, thrown into a pit and sold as a slave, thrown back in jail for something he did not do. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. God can make you forgetful. <laughs> not that you'll ever really forget, but God can make you forgetful as you look to his son as you look to what He has promised you, His forgiveness. God can free you from the pain of your past. But Satan wants you to keep living there. 
Don't let him convince you to keep living in the past. Another way the devil deceives is by getting you to neglect and ignore and fail to trust the Bible. He wants to get you to live separated from God's word. You know, I, I feel it every day too. You get up in the morning, you have the best of intentions. Oh, but I need to get ready. Or, oh, then the phone. Or, then I've got to hear the news. Or, but I got distracted. Or, I hit the snooze. We keep making excuses for why we don't have time for the one thing that feeds our souls. It's God's word that we desperately need every day. That is another deception of Satan that makes us content, that makes us satisfied without God's word. He separates us from the Bible. He separates us from the truth. He makes watching the news seem more important than reading the Bible. Knowing what's going on today seem more important than what He has given us today in His Word to feed our souls. So the devil deceives, and those are just a few ways he likes to deceive. The devil also divides. He likes to get believers to divide over the little things. We can go back to that idea again, right? He likes to make the little things seem big and, and the big things seem little. He wants believers dividing over little things. But we need to learn. God teaches us in His Word. He teaches us how to forgive an offense. Even, even things that we're hurt by, he, he teaches us how to be forgiving people. And God wants us to be that. But, but Satan doesn't want you to be forgiving. <laughs> he wants you to hang on to those hurts. The devil divides. He got Adam and Eve to distrust God. He wedged his way in between Paul and Timothy and Paul and Silas. He got Judas to betray Jesus. He gets between us and those that we love in our homes and in our church. The devil divides. He likes to divide people over all kinds of things that should not divide us. That really goes along with all of the deceptions he uses deceptions to divide us. He deceives us to divide us. And then the devil also likes to destroy. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The devil likes to destroy. But Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Again, we go back to, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The devil comes to destroy. Jesus comes to give life. Now, there are two major places the devil loves to destroy, and we can think of them uh, this way. You could probably th think of them and tell me what they are. The, the two major places the devil loves to show up and destroy, it's in the home and in his church, in God's church. And we need to guard against this. Those two places where if we're honoring God, God is powerfully at work in our midst. You know, if we honor God in our homes, God will powerfully use our homes as little lighthouses of truth all over these communities in which we live. 
The devil wants to separate. He wants to deceive. He wants to divide and destroy. He wants husband and wife separated. He wants them going in separate directions with different desires, different passions, different goals in life. He wants them always at odds. Parents and their children. He loves to separate parents and their children. He wants them at war with each other. The devil wants the parents too busy to care for the spiritual needs of their children. And really, the spiritual needs of our children ought to be a high, one of the highest, if not the highest priority. There's so much in our culture that would tug at us and say, you need to give your children this and you need to give your children that. But God's word tells us we need to care for our children spiritually. Their spiritual needs are are our highest priority as parents. And then he wants children to grow up angry and resentful. So how can we equip ourselves? There is is great hope. (laughs) How can we equip ourselves? There is great hope for us. That's verse 10. Look at verse 10 again. Finally, we kind of went in reverse through this passage. Verse 12, then verse 11, now verse 10. But it says finally, after verse 9, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. The strength that we need to stand spiritually comes only from God. When I stop and think about this, it's actually an encouragement to me to realize the strength that I need to fight the devil's schemes is found only in God. It's actually a blessing to understand that you don't have and don't need the strength that comes from you. Notice it says, be strong, and doesn't stop there. How? Be strong how? In the Lord. We don't have to have our own strength. In fact, it's better if we bring our weaknesses to God. God wants us to lay down whatever strength we think we have and look at it for what it is. It is weakness. It doesn't get any clearer than hearing how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 12.10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How can that be? When I am weak... I'm not relying on my own wisdom, my own strength. I'm relying on God's wisdom and strength. And that's what Paul knew. That's what he identified. For when I am weak, then I am strong with God. With God on our side. Who can overcome us? God doesn't want his children weak. We need to acknowledge that we are weak, but God doesn't want us to stay there. So when God's children trust Him, when they obey Him, when they give themselves up and say, Oh God, help me. I can't do this without you. God shows up and gives strength where it's desperately needed. And in that, we can rejoice and be thankful. We are not without hope. Do not be discouraged by all these things you hear about the devil's schemes and and ploys. Remember, God is more powerful than the devil, and God is on your side if you're on his side. 
What we need is daily time in the Word. We need daily submission to God and His Word. Daily having our thoughts trained by the truth. And then daily relying on the Holy Spirit's help as we take steps of obedience. And that's where the strength to resist the devil's schemes comes from. It's not from us. It's not from in, within ourselves. It's from God. And he gives it to his children who take steps of obedience, who call out for his help and surrender their lives to him. So I say, let's praise God for that. Let's praise God that we have all that we need in him, in his word, by his spirit. And he's given us the church as well to encourage us and equip us and to to encourage one another. Let's praise God for that and let's ask for his continued strength and help.